He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Figo. And then Ronaldo! Oh, what a goal by Cristiano Ronaldo! Sensational! Ronaldo Silva smacks in City second. Here comes Eddie. Not got much help. Oh, he doesn't need any help. How about that? Portugal. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Portuguese Football Show. We're now on episode 5. As usual it'll be myself, Aaron, and also I'm joined by Philippe. Philippe, how's things? Hello brother, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, not too bad. Excited to uh, talk for another hour, <laughs> hour or two about <laughs> Portuguese football. Yes, always. So we'll just get straight into it. I want to start off with the Premier League, and I want to start off not at the top, uh, with the sides who are pushing sport, I think, at the top, or for European places, but I want to start with uh, a relegation battle. And I was thinking about this when I was planning the notes for the podcast, because I was thinking, can you call it a relegation battle? Because relegation battle, usually three or four teams near the bottom, and then you've got maybe a couple of more that are at risk of falling in, but not, they're not, not at a heightened risk like some of the other teams. But when you look at the Premier League and the table at the moment, after 20 games played, uh, the 20, from ninth place, Hriouav, I've got 22 points, all the way down to 18th position, Maritimo, they're on 17 points. The teams that are caught down there, you've got uh, Maritimo, uh, on 17, Bovista on 18, Familacao on 18, Ferenc on 18, Gil Vicente on 19, Porto Manense on 19, and then it jumps up a little bit, we got Tondela 21, Nacional 21, um, Beysad 21, and then finally Griovav on 22 points. Now, above those, you've got some other teams that could possibly fall into it, you've got Santa Clara and Morenense on 25, and then above that is the top six, I think. The likes of Victoria, and they're far enough away. Fair enough, 32 points. Looking at that table and looking at some of the performances that we got this weekend from some of the teams at the bottom, this is a competitive... I can't. You can't even call it a bottom half of the table, or a really a bottom half of the table. It's. I mean, it's... As I say, it goes right up. If you're including Morenense and Santa Clara, you're going up to 7th position in an 18-team league. Have you ever seen, particularly in recent years, Philippe, I know we're only 20 games in, but anything like this or anything that's this competitive? No, especially not in Portugal. Normally, one team around this time is already way out of any chance, like yeah. you had Avish last year. I think, well, two things. First, I think is a bad sign for one simple reason, that only the top six, so only those ones that are obviously safe from, from this battle, have positive goal differences. From the seventh place down, all of them had negative goal uh, difference, which I don't think is a good sign. And then in these, all these teams, you have different uh, um, phases. So you have like Santa Clara 25, that I think eventually will be dragged down to this mm -hmm. fight because they, they have these 25 points, but they are aligned 25 points because they started the season really well. And then they went down since Tiago Santana left. And I still, they're still trying to figure out a way of playing without, obviously, their striker. Then I think Rio is the other way up, which is they started really bad. 
I think uh, the, the the Europa League um, going uh, all the way to to playing against Milan done a good job. But then since then, uh, no, uh, since they changed the manager to Miguel Cardoso, they are going up. Then I think Bolnes will be in this fight. I think they'll be okay. Nacional, I think they will be okay as well. I think Tondel is coming down as well. They started well. They do really well at home, uh, away from home. They struggle all the time. I think Portimonense will be good because all the teams with Paul Sergi, they always started, they always start quite slowly, but then they end up doing good seasons, and especially the last 10, 12 games like we saw. I think then Gil Vicente will might struggle. Ferenc, like you said, they start. So these 18 points are quite lying points as well because they started really bad. And they have enough talent to to be okay. And we saw this game against Benfica. That even though Benfica is not the normal Benfica, they still have such a good team, and they are able to be organized and 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 uh, still win a point. I think Famalicão will be okay as well because they have a they have a good team. I think even though Silas is not my my preferred manager, I think they have enough quality to to be okay. And then you have Boa Vista, which is a bit of a, a weird. Uh, team because you look at probably the the team that got the most unlucky this weekend because on Friday when they won against Murerense I thought they they thought that there would be a good week for them and they find themselves in 17 place after winning game because all the teams above them uh, the the closest ones end up uh, winning points and then you have Maritim which is a uh, just a a weird team because against Port. Uh, done well, just lost at the end by uh, 2-1. Against Sporting, they lose to Neil, but, uh, but for the cup they won. So they do well against big teams. Against teams that they need to play, they, they struggle. So I think, give it another three, four games, I think we start to see more clearly which five teams will fight for for to, to survive. And there will be teams that will eventually be, be fine. In terms of a time frame, because 20 games in, Obviously, we've still got a lot of football yet to be played. And I was going to say, in terms of further along and you move forward a couple of months, do you think it will go? It'll drop down to about four or five teams? I think eventually it'll drop down to, to four or five. Like I told you, I think Rua will be, be getting enough points to, to run away. Mm. I think uh, Famalicão will get enough points to, to, to be clear as well. Uh, so I think four, four, five games, and you'll see clearly five, maybe six teams fighting for for their lives, and the rest will be doing uh, nice and easy um, league matches until the end. I don't see it yeah. being like this when there's only four games to go. Oh no, yeah, I think that would be crazy. I, will, I think the the one thing, the only thing that surprised, well, the main thing that surprised me, and the reason why I said it was. Um, that it's been a good show and perhaps that's just selfish because I'm enjoying watching it <laughs> is um is when you go through each team there's like there's a reason or two or there's a player or two that makes you think yeah they've got a chance of staying up like yeah they, they won't be dragged down into it and like you're looking at the table the way it is now both Easter they've got you know a talented squad with some really experienced players in there the same with Familicao I think I totally agree with your point that you made about the, sort of the false position. The start of the season, and we spoke about this, I think, on last week or the week before's podcast, basically just a completely different team in terms of every the players that they sold. I think there was a game recently and they had 10 different players uh, compared to the last game of the season from last season. So that was a complete uh, upheaval. So whether they, the longer they get together, 
obviously got the new manager in there with Joao Pedro Sousa leaving and, and Silas coming in. And But they've got talent in the squad. Ferenz, when you've got a player like Ryan Gold, you've always got a chance because you've got a match winner there. And he won man of the match again yesterday. He didn't score or assist, but impacted the game uh, in such a manner. On paper, you see the teams that will get dragged into it. And they're the obvious teams, but it's just whether it pans out that way. I mean, it's a cliche, but football isn't played on paper. And I think it'll be very, very interesting to, to come back to this in, in, as you say, you know, a couple of weeks, maybe not three or four weeks, because obviously we've got the international break. But if, um, yeah, you come back to this in a month, in a month or two, and, and see exactly where we are and revisit this, because I do think it's one of the most entertaining stories. 22 points from the ninth place team down to the team who were 18 for on 17 points it's just so close i mean i think there's there would have been four different teams on 18 points of maritimo managed to hold on tonight you know i think i think it's competitive if the if the smaller teams and the ones that don't have as big a budget and uh, as big as an you know a stronger of an infrastructure can go to these big sides and, and take points it's competitive. That's what we see in the likes of the Premier League. We don't, you know, the Premier League. The, there's no easy games, and you've got the teams that near the bottom can go and take points off the teams at the top. And I think in Portugal for for so long, there's always been a clear sort of team that you can go and it's a guaranteed three points. You're not seeing that this season. You see, you could go through every one of those teams, and they've all had fantastic results this season Ferenc have been very unlucky in the big games got themselves a point yesterday I mean the only team that you yeah. can't really go and get a point off is uh, is Sporting at the top because they refuse to lose a game but everyone else is 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 susceptible <laughs> so no, yeah and yeah. I think yeah for like you said for the neutral is good because that means that almost every game in all every week we have a story because all the teams will be very, very close together and they'll need the points. So for the neutral, is good. In terms for the quality in general, like the game that we're talking about, like Portui and Maritim, Maritim was able to keep the result until quite late, but it was not a good game. No. Because yeah, one team is clearly doing one thing, which is playing in 25 meters and then hoping for a bit of luck in a, a quick transition or a set piece to score. If you think last yesterday with Ferenc was different because Ferenc was quite open as well and went to play. Uh, but if you see teams when they play against Tondela, Braga against Tondela, Tondela tried to change to be super defensive, didn't work. Uh, when you play, when Sporting play Nacional as well, Nacional obviously drops quite a lot. When teams play against Bluenense, they, they, the Bluenense just drops and, and tries to soak the pressure and play in the counter. So they are very organized and they make it really, really tricky. And one thing that's happening this year that I think makes a big difference as well is that's been raining a lot in Portugal, which make the pitches terrible, most of them. And that obviously is bad for the better teams. Yeah, tell me about it. I mean, the that, the Jamor um, this weekend, Stadio Nacional, yes. was just... I, we tweeted out that it was more suited to a water polo game and to, oh, the, no. if you haven't if you haven't saw it go to the twitter and um, but that's yeah but that's ridiculous isn't it just... and the most ridiculous thing is that on th so the game was on sunday or saturday 
Wilnens. It was Saturday, wasn't it? It was Saturday. Yeah, they had the inspection, I think. Was it on Friday? Or Thursday? They had the inspection on Thursday, I think. Yeah. And they, they said the pitch is okay, but Fine. it's like none of the league <laughs> saw the check the weather and everyone knew there was been like a storm coming. So eventually, this pitch is normally not good. It's not going to be any better now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah. I mean, but that's just... <laughs> <laughs> Portuguese football in a nutshell, isn't it? Like you look at the pitch now and think, yeah, it's in, yeah, it's in good condition, but you think you've got another three days of rain that's going to pull yeah, it down. Yeah, it's right? not going to hold up. And, it has uh, been, ter- it has been terrible. That's a good point. That even the um, the video I was watching the video and we posted that of of the coach coming in um, for Sporting uh, for the before the game. And it was just battering down. It yeah, it's been it. terrible. It's been so bad, and 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 I think that influence, especially because when you play in stadiums like Famalicão, people might not know, but Famalicão, Farense, Gil Vicente, no, because he's new, but Portimonense, Tondela, they are very very narrow pitches, so it's already hard to play then, because obviously they'll drop and there's not much space to play. But when you play, and the ball cannot even move quickly. Is much harder to create gaps between defenders to play yeah. through. Benefits, so, benefits so it those just sides, makes it easier for those block. teams. Yeah, that way that's a very, very good point. So, moving on from teams that like to defend, and we move on to a team who really like to attack, and that's Braga. And they were very, very impressive again uh, this week. A 4-2 win against Tondela. And I just want to start off by talking about uh, one of the goals. And it was a goal scored, finished off, by Lucas Piazon, uh, the ex Chelsea player after numerous loans is looking very settled in Portugal and it's great to see. Um, just wanted to talk about uh, an exchange I saw on Twitter. Uh, Latrella Scared, the accounts, they do uh, like analysis and clips. Follow them on Twitter. They posted a video with a goal and they tagged Carlos Carvajal in and they were praising them and the, it was the video with the goal was a wonderful goal and Carlos Carvajal actually replied and he said the play is missing from the start with a wink and what he was referring to is the video that Sport TV I think it was or V Sports who crop and post the, the videos of the goals they started the clip off uh, it was like 10 seconds long but the goal had actually started before that and it was from this crucial piece of play and it was Wenderson Galeno winning the ball uh, just before the halfway line or maybe on the halfway line. So Carlos Carvajal replied and then they reposted it uh, and said the the play in full. And then Carlos Carvajal replied again saying this is much better. Galeno's great recovery of the ball is half a goal, meaning that is half the goal itself. Is It's just that. And I think that, that attention to detail, one, we spoke about Carvajal before on Twitter, uh, and how involved he is, which is fantastic to see. Um, but also, Braga themselves, Philippe, how impressed have you been with them, especially in, in recent matches? Uh, I just think, for me, they've been a real breath of fresh air. Uh, obviously, they've, they're balancing playing in Europe with also playing in the Liga. Clearly a manager that takes great pride in how his team play. Very attractive to watch. What have you made of them from, from a tactical uh, aspect? I know that's your forte. 
yeah, they are very, very impressive. And you look at Braga, how they play this year, and you look at how you have played under Carvalho last year, and there's so many similarities between the two. Uh, but in this game specifically, Tondela made it really, really easy. Because Tondela normally plays in a 4-4-3. And playing against Braga, they thought to drop it. Because obviously they would, they knew they would spend long, times, long spells without the ball. So they drop it to a 5-4-1. That obviously didn't work at all. It almost remind me when Portimonense, not this game time, but the first time Portimonense played against Sporting. And they changed the formation as well. And after 15 minutes, they're losing 2-0. And they change it again. And it was what happened in this game. In the first half, it's 3-0. In the second half, they change it. Braga still scores, and then Tondela ended up scoring two when the game was already over. But, but yeah, and, and it was a shame the game against Roma for the Europa League mm. because I really thought Braga could could do something. But, but Roma, fair play on them. Obviously, they have um, a manager they used to coach in, in Braga, so they know them. Paul Fonseca knows them really well. And obviously, they, they studied perfectly because something that everyone says about Braga is how Jgai is having a good season. And they found that, uh, in, at least in that game, that Jgai was the, was, the, was the main concern and the main problem. So, so the way Roma played against Braga was, was really good because basically what they did, they, they played a defensive line and the center midline so close together that Ricardo Horta and Gaetan that day, they had no space to operate so the ball didn't get to them. So we would go to the wingers on on the edges, to well wingers, uh, wing backs with Jigai and, and Galeno, which which struggled to have an impact on the game. And every time they got close from the Roma wing backs, there was space in their back because Mikitarian in one side and Pedro on the other were creating gaps. So, but but in the league, it's been really good. And obviously. With Benfica not being such a good season, uh, having such a good season, I think Braga and Benfica would fight for for the for the last spot of the Champions League for the playoff. Yeah, that third place. That's another thing as yeah. well. That's, it's a good point to move on to, and I feel like that's something that's really well under the radar. Is is in terms of obviously the coefficients imp- improved. So um, yeah, gone are the days of of Portugal having one qualified guaranteed yeah. group stage spot and, and a qualifier they've now got so the top two qualify automatically for the group stages of the Champions and League the third place third. goes to the, yeah, the playoff, to a playoff. Or the, the one of the pre-rounds and just, just on the, um, the the game with uh, Roma I think they were unlucky as well for, with the penalty incidents and they were denied a, a clear penalty um, Braga that is by the referee and I think that that you know, a bit of a turning point in the game, and then obviously the player you mentioned there, Skyo, ends up getting sent off. Um, Showing a second. But not even, not even when he gets the yellow. If you think about the first goal, straight in the beginning, is a ball that uh, Roma played to Spinazzola, who was still playing as a wing back. Yeah. The guy who thinks he can go and press, and he, yeah. he misses completely. He gets too late because obviously, normally, the picture is that the wing back is going to play back to the centre back and play from there. But was actually um, very good. That was moving towards the ball, so they play one two around Jigayu, and Mikitarian was already so open that Centurmena so far out as well. When he mm. got to him, it was too late, and then Jigayu didn't recover in time. But that happened so many times during the game. Um, that that is a, to be fair, is a really good spot, and that's why these teams have good scouting departments to check and try to find out things that other clubs haven't seen yet. In that case, it was clearly the space behind the wing back. They were too exposed. And to be fair, 
Braga for me is like a team. I, I don't remember who said this, but I think it's a really good uh, way to explain it, which is Braga is a team that is like a person that misses a leg day in the gym. So they're very good attacking and midfield, but the three centre-backs are so poor and they've been losing players throughout the season. So they lost uh, David Carm, obviously, for injured. They lost Bruno Viana, they went to, to Braga, and now they're playing with Raul Silva, which for me, I don't think has this level anymore. And sometimes they still need to play with Huland. So it's clearly a problem there that I think it might cost Braga in the long run, especially in the big games. Defensively, can look a bit susceptible at times, uh, and obviously the uh, the wing backs, especially when they play someone like Wenders and Galeno, which they did, which they have done this season. Someone who prefers, you know, getting up there and attacking, and um, can be a little bit susceptible in terms of that space that he leaves in behind. I think in the league, as you say, there you quite rightly point out, especially with the season. Benfica of having if there's any season a, a club like Braga can go in there and, and try and get Champions League football it's this season and they'll be hoping to continue to uh, to pick up points and hope that yeah. their weaknesses they can improve on the weaknesses and they'll know what they need to improve as well Carlos Carvajal is, is a manager who he knows exactly what his le- level his players are knows exactly what to expect from them uh, I think they've, they're on quite a, an impressive uh, domestic unbeaten run and the last time they lost was in the Tasa de Liga uh, to Sporting, and that's in, in all, competi- all competitions, sorry. And then before that, it was Bastos de Ferreira, the 2 0, uh, another side who were on a really, really impressive run. Uh, if you haven't listened already, myself and Philippe, we interviewed Pedro Oliveira, who's coach and a physio for Bastos de Ferreira. We interviewed him last week, and we brought the podcast out a couple of days ago. He speaks about their impressive season that they're having so far. He talks about Pepper as a manager and as a mentor. Uh, obviously, that's someone he's travelled from club to club with. Uh, he also speaks about his own career, uh, ambitions for the future. And towards the end, we also ask about Europe. You know, is is that dream on? Is that something that the club are thinking about? So, really, really good interview. Um, definitely go and check that out uh, if you haven't already. And then, just moving on to Pastor Ferreira, they were another team. That were in action. They got back to to winning ways after after the defeat to Sporting. They went into that game, you know, Ruben Amarim's men unbeaten. Always going to be a difficult challenge, and and they bounced back with a, a two one win against Victoria. Not only did they bounce back, they actually went a goal down, uh, which I think shows great character because it would have been easy in that position after coming off that winning streak. Uh, it's always very fascinating to see how a team bounces back when they're in such excellent form and sort of someone puts a pin in it and it's it's what do you do from there do you just completely deflate or do you get back up again and go and I think going 1-0 down uh, it's shown a great test of character they equalised you know I think they equalised 9 minutes later so it wasn't a long time at all Joel Pedro Silva uh, with the goal and then Gilda Ferreira scored the winner and then they held on. They they held on for the for the um, the next half an hour. I think it was scored round about the sixty minute mark. Uh, it was an impressive display just in terms of how disciplined they were. Uh, they had they had the ball. Victoria had m- more chances. Uh, they had more shots. Uh, but to be honest, I thought they they were as I say they were very well disciplined. Um, everything we've come to expect from a purpose side. They don't concede many goals. 
Um, they do the basics well. Uh, again, another victory for them. That takes them onto 38 points. Now just one point behind Benfica. Uh, they're five points behind Braga. So five points behind the Champions League space. Um, not a you know not far off at all. But I think if you'd have offered Passos de Ferreira a Europa League spot at the start of the season, uh, they'd have absolutely snapped your hand off for that. So I don't think there's any disappointments uh, so far this season. And they've also created uh, a bit of a gap between themselves and Vittoria. So they're in a European place at the minute. Vittoria are beneath them in sixth place. They're on 32 points. So there's a five-point buffer between the two. And obviously the victory came against Vittoria. So a little bit, again, the cliche, a little bit of a six-pointer. They actually got the three points against uh, a rival, a European challenging rival. Yeah. Um, to be fair, that game, I think so far this season has been one of the best games. Definitely the best game that didn't involve any of the, the big three or if you had Braga, the, 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 the four contenders for the title. Very, very intense game. If uh, anyone haven't seen the João Pedro goal, go and see the first goal of Passos because it looked like Ibrahimovic was uh, inside of him when he scored. Amazing. And then with Passos, it's always, it's always good to watch. They're always so, so good. I... I I see. I did you like the Ibrahimovic reference? Yeah, that's what I was laughing at in the background. I because it's not, true. I tried not to it's cast true. that laugh on, on microphone, but he's so right. Um, he, I yeah, saw it and he, I thought, Jesus, these men. It was. In, it was. It was. It was. Um, yeah, it was a lovely bit of creativity. Uh, as Philippe says, if you haven't watched it, go and watch it. Uh, you really so, so good. Easy. Brilliant. But then going back to Passos, they they played so well. Like the, they finished the first half with almost seventy percent of possession. So at the end of the game it was fifty fifty because obviously Guimarães after the Passos goal had more ball and tried to try to go uh, over Passos. But they played so well. And there's one player in Passos de Ferreira that we still haven't mentioned, and we, to be fair, we didn't talk about it when when he spoke to to Pedro. And it's someone that's really impressive me, and and especially the last. Three four games, which is um, Maracash, which is a centre back, not very tall, so he's only one eighty four, which is which is not massive for for centre back. He's been in passer last season and he played more than he was playing this season. But for me, the centre back there is everything. So if we're talking about Braga needing defenders, I think he would be perfect for a team uh, like that because he's very very fast, he's very very strong, and. And his body position is always so, so good. I was very, very impressed by him. And then the normal players, uh, the midfield with Eustachio, Bruno and, and Luis Carlos, then, then amazingly, they finished the game with more than 500 passes. To, uh, to in comparison, Guimarães had uh, less than 350, so it's uh, 150 passes different. So that means clearly who had the ball and the control the, most, the majority of the time. And then there's something else that Passos does so well, which is so far in set pieces, they have, uh, I think, 11 goals in, in all competitions. And if you think about in the league, they scored 28. So you see how important are the set pieces. And the winning goal with uh, Elder Ferreira was, came from a free kick as well. Just mentioning then when you were speaking about the passes, uh, and we were speaking to, when we, when we spoke to Pedro, we were talking about how Passos do both, both ends of the game so well. And for a team that had, you know, the majority of the ball for the majority of the match, obviously the, the possession did even up a little bit. I think they still, um, I think they finished on about 57 or 58%. But uh, another thing I wanted to draw attention to was just how well they did to win the ball back when they didn't have it. 
And I was looking at the, the tackling statistics. 21 tackles they made compared to Vittoria made 8 in the entire game. Uh, 21 tackles, that's indicative of when they when they lost the ball. Because bear in mind, as I say, you, they had the majority of the possession. So they didn't need to tackle, yet still made 21 in the 90 minutes. Is losing the ball and getting after it without being without losing your discipline, without losing your shape. Um, but just being very smart in the way that they went about uh, the pitch, retain the ball. And, and that's why they don't concede goals, because... As you say there, they, they pass it about, they keep the game under control. Uh, they went 1-0 down, did they flap? Did they you know, did they think about the defeat that had happened a couple of days earlier? No, of course they didn't. They they remained calm, they stayed true to what they're good at. You know, they didn't they don't try and be something that they're not. They they play well, they pass the ball well, they tackle, and they're you know, all the characteristics that we've come to expect from a pepper side and I fully agree. You'll be able to watch the extended highlights of that on the V Sports website. I keep shouting out V Sports as if we're sponsored by them. Sponsored by them. Yeah, we're not. But <laughs> they, they, I just think, especially for an English speaking audience, some of the sport TV stuff you can't get because of like geo locking and stuff, and you need all sorts of VPNs and you know. But if you V Sports, they offer. They have like extended stuff on the website in addition to the stuff they post on Twitter. So. Uh, if you're someone who doesn't catch many Portuguese games, or you can only catch the games that are on free sports, which is f- frustrating at times because obviously they, every game they show uh, involves uh, one of the big three. So a game like this, you rightly mentioned there, Philippe, this is, if we're talking about games that haven't involved Porto, Benfica, Sporting, or even Braga, this is, um, yeah, this was the one. I thought this was a thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable game. And um, yes. again, it's a game that not a lot of people in the likes of England, the, the outside of Portugal, you, you would see, which is um, hopefully that changes in the future and, and the broadcasters can pick up uh, a few more games because there's real beauty in those games, I think. Uh, and not everything has to be sort of centred around the big three, but that's just me going off on a little bit of a tangent. Takes us to tonight's game. Uh, so we started recording pretty much as the final whistle went. And we covered it a little bit earlier, but not not in too, too great of depth. We spoke about the team who were at the bottom of the table, Maritimo, or near the bottom. And they lost 2-1 tonight against Porto. Already mentioned, you know, it's a very tight game. But I think Chico Conceição came off the bench. Francisco Conceição, Sergio's son, obviously came off the bench and won his second penalty for the club. Uh, in in um, in his last three games, so made his Champions League debut against Juventus. The game before that, he made his league debut against Boavista, and he won the penalty in that game as well. He's a player that a lot of people are talking about at the moment. Um, but I wanted to focus on another player, a player who came on uh, at a similar time. I think he came on as part of a double substitution. Philippe, you can correct me if I'm yeah. incorrect on that one. Um, and that was Otavio, and I thought he had a really good influence on the game. They brought him on for for that little bit of creativity, and I thought he got on the ball when he, especially when he moved into those central areas. Uh, he tried to find passes, he tried to split the lines. Always difficult, especially when you go away to somewhere like Maritimo, where they're so compact, they're so structured. They try and you know they try and suffocate the ball uh, at times. Um, and as I say, to the credit, it may not you know result in the, in the best game, but if. Chico Conceição doesn't win that penalty and it's not converted by Otavio. 
it's 1-1 and we need to walk away with the points. So, again, that's a discussion for another day. How do you like your football to be played? Uh, there's many different ways to play it. But I think, yeah, massive a massive win for, for Porto in terms of that takes them above Braga, takes them on to 44 points. Uh, it keeps them... I think if they would have lost or they would have drawn that game and they would have fell even further away from Sporting, it's it's starting to look insurmountable. At the minute, it's a 10-point gap. You know, you, you hear 10 points and you think, but anything can happen in football. But I think it's an important win in terms of just getting it over the line. Wasn't the greatest of games, um, but yeah, as I say, Otavio was very, very impressed with him. Sergio Oliveira came off, and I think that was indicative of the game that Porto were playing because whenever you take someone as influential off as him or someone that usually has a massive impact on the game, it shows you that perhaps for Porto it just wasn't working. The thoughts on the game, Philippe, and and um, any key players that stuck out. For me, start by the end, by the penalty. I, I still don't know, and there's something I, I will try to find out, which is um, Taremi was supposed to score the penalty, and I was watching Amy thinking that's not a good idea because they know each other, so because they, they vote for Miran, so they play in the national team together, so I would imagine Amir knows how Taremi scores the penalties. And I don't know because the, the, I was watching the game on TV. I don't know if you noticed that. But Sergio Oliveira is talking with uh, Conceição yeah. after deciding to change the guy that's going to score. And I would be interesting to know if that came from Conceição. It was actually Sergio Oliveira, which is normally the one that takes the penalties, to be like, just to give you a clue, like, those two guys know each other for sure. So just send someone else. So yeah. I, I, would, I, would, I would like to know that because the image... Shows um, Sergio Oliveira talking with uh, with Sergio Conceição, but obviously there's an, we don't understand what what they're saying. Mm -hmm. But but I think that was a very interesting uh, thing to to think about in such an intense game. Having been uh, Sergio Oliveira, Conceição, Vitor Bruno, doesn't matter who he was, but someone cl with clear head to think about. Okay, that might not be a good idea, which I think is is really good and shows how. Uh, it's important to keep to have someone um, in the right frame of mind. Then for the game, just to explain quickly, Maritim played in a 4-5-1, but it was a very special 4-5-1 because without the ball, they were playing inside the box, basically, and they play instead of a 5. Actually, the, the wingers drop to where the fullbacks normally <laughs> would be. So they play in a 7-2-1. 7 I've never seen that one times, before, but it? they play with a line of 7, so we might have to start putting uh, lines of 7 when analysing <laughs> games. Zainadine Jr. was in the middle with, with, <laughs> with three players either side of him. Yes, it was like was... Mar marshalling them like, like someone about to go into war. It was just absolutely outrageous to see. What, it, was, it was meant because when the ball was in the middle, so I think the I think with Tavio, like we were speaking of of uh, before, for me the key they gave the man of the match award to to Shiku, but I think for me it would be Otavio because he was the one who started thinking the game earlier. Uribe, I th I think he was struggling a bit because we saw sometimes him complaining about his back. I don't think he was top. Sergio Oliveira made a few passes uh, in the end of the first half and beginning of the second. There was thought the movements would be there, but neither Zaidu and Afar had the legs to make them, so he was playing a different game. And Otavio was able to, to from a middle area, to think about the game and, and do different things, because Corona was unable to influence the game.
game because the lines were so compact they had no space every time he was trying to take a player on there would be someone else covering uh, the first play so he had no space to go Marega because they were playing so deep they had no space to go in behind so it was pointless so he took him out as well then he had Taremi which he keep he put Tony Martinez as well to give a bit more presence in the box which eventually gave uh, give the goal the, the the penalty and I think Otavi was key. Uh, he tried Corona on the left, on the right, when he normally plays. He tried in the middle for a while. He tried him on the left. He never worked. I think the wingers, Manafines, I do, were, were too tired. You could see even when they had to recover, they struggled quite a lot. And then Maritim, even though, like I said in the beginning, is not the way that I enjoy uh, watching. And I th like we talked about in the beginning, I don't think for the neutral, uh, uh, Maritim Boavista with both with Maritim playing like this, it would be. I don't think people would start watching football because of it. But they still had good chances at the end. They had the the counter where Pep didn't uh, keep up with uh, the Ali Dajor, the, the Maritim striker, and then the corner where they had two two great chances. But yeah, it was just it was just a matter of Porto trying to break down a team that's really really deep, and they they sometimes struggle to do it because the big players, the most influential players, are not able to influence that way. Because Marega needs space, he doesn't have a Corona needs a bit of space, and he didn't have it either in this game. So I think Octavio getting in was was a big big difference. And then yeah. I just want to say one more thing, which is I do I honestly think if if Porto knocks out Juventus with I I like Manafa because obviously in the other podcast we talk about for me could be one of the names to go to the the next call up, especially if the English players are allowed not to send their players to 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 play. But as I do sometimes it's something that I don't understand because. He's, he's very quick, his crosses are really good, his set pieces are, are quite good as well. But he has one moment in this game that I think that he, he will be, he'll struggle to, to make this level. Which is when he has a 1v1 against Gohaya, which is the winger from Maritim, which is left. And this, this ball is on the right hand side, so we know Corona. Anyone that's seen football before, if you have a left footed play on the right, is because you want him to curl in. Correa, in addition to that, is a very powerful shot. And Zaidu defends him like he never saw Correa play before. So he defends the ins the outside, which gives him his space to come inside and have a shot, which uh, Marcia Zin made a good save. But those little details is something that with Zaidu, I, I just don't understand. Yeah, concentration and also attention to detail. Those to detail, of, yeah. Yeah, when you, when you obviously you have your pre-match and they you know, I'm Obviously, sure he's been told like a hundred exactly, times. Yeah. Just in that moment, it just there, goes there off. You go. That's exactly what I was about to say. I think you can give, you're given instructions. You're told. Uh, yes, you know, for this sure. Is what this player does, but, and, but it's in that it's in those moments. Anybody can give you know an hour lecture and say this is what this player is going to do in this moment. But when when it's crunch time and you're full of adrenaline and you're playing. And it's those split-second decisions. Can you transfer it into a real game situation? Uh, it's all well and good, you know, playing attack v defence and somebody for Porto pretending to be someone like Jorea. But can you do it, you know, in a game? And I, I, I do get that. I think Zaidu at times, uh, I think in the game in the Champions League, uh, he had a couple of those moments where it was a bit, you know... Could you have done better there? But even um, even talking that's a that's a good point. Even talking about that game, the goal that Juventus goal, score, yeah, it can it, it can be said that why does he need to defend so close from Pepe? He should see that the striker in this case Morat is making a run to the near post where the two centre backs are there. He doesn't need to go in line with Pepe because the only threat is coming from behind him, which yeah. is Chiesa. 
It to be fair, the ball was in spot like perfectly. It was a perfect ball for for Chiesa. Yeah. But he doesn't need to drop that much. But to be yeah. fair, that's like nail picking. It's really close to the end of the game. But yeah. this one is just those little concentration thing. They're thinking, come on, you, you you because you look at him and you see, okay, there's a good play here with the ball. Mm-hmm. If he improves this, then so he, he, can crosses, he crosses. He's so well. good. Got yeah, and he said pieces are yeah. good, and and he's very good. Of, uh, he's a very good um, fullback for a big team that has the ball a lot of time. But it just this little bit that he needs to improve. Yeah, frustrates me a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's frustrating because when you know someone's got, um, you know they've got good attributes, but it's as you say, it's those those. Well, it's 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 those little details that separate and um, the players at the very very top and the players that are just good. I suppose at the end of the day, it's it. That's what the game's made up of is, is um, is those elite characteristics and going, you know, to the next level. It's your concentration. It's it's all those other attributes that it's not just you know how fast you are, how strong you are. It's those little. What are you like in those decisive moments? So, now very good point. The um, I thought especially with the the Champions League game coming up. The um the game against uh, Juventus, which isn't until the 9th of March, um, but just in terms of you mentioned there about them looking a little bit tired, thought a couple of the Porto team looked flat on the feet towards the end. They looked like a team who've played uh, a lot of football recently, but they looked they did look flat, and they get a bit they get a bit of a rest now in terms of the the let up isn't isn't. In, as intense, I don't think uh, after it. But I mean, you know, if they, if they were to go out of that tournament, it wouldn't be the worst thing for for the uh, men's fitness. But obviously, they won't look at it that way. I'm looking yeah. at it from the uh, practical points of view. But I think that that might that might well. We always said that'll be something that affects the title race as well because Sporting came into the season. Uh, they didn't have that to worry about. You know, after the after the last game. Uh, it was, you know, not a concern. Um, if he could drop from the Champions League qualifiers into, into the Europa League, playing contending, playing in Europe, Braga playing in Europe, Porto playing in the Champions League, uh, where you have to remain at a hundred percent, you know, for ninety minutes, which is just so exhausting. And you can tell when you play against a team like Juventus, and yeah, I think you could see it in some of the legs there tonight that they played. It's such a high-level game against such a high-level opponents, and stayed. Porto pretty much stayed at at a hundred percent against Juve as well for for ninety minutes. But I do think that was evident in the legs at times. Yeah, and they the good thing for for Porto now is before Sporting they have now five days to to rest, but then after it's it's going to be again two weeks uh, tricky because they play Sporting, then midweek they go and play Braga for the second leg of the Tasa de Portugal, then they play Gil Vicente at uh, the weekend, then midweek Juventus, and then at the weekend Passo de Ferreira, so the next apart from this week now, before playing Sporting, the two weeks after that they'll be again playing quite a lot of football Yeah, very very soft And I think, looking at this, obviously Sporting game will be key because if they lose, it might be over the title because 13 points will be I'm not going to say impossible because in football we never know, but it will be very, very hard. But the game before Juventus, we might be seeing something similar to what happened a game against Boavista before Juventus, which is the players thinking, if I go on the 50-50, I might be out of the mm-hmm. Juventus game. And, and I think that, that plays always in the head of the players. Yeah, spot on. Um, and then, 
uh, the team who were at the top of the table. We've mentioned them a couple of times. Very, to be honest, I thought it was a very professional display. I think you, you they scored quick fire goals. Fidal on on twenty seven, uh, Nuno Santos on thirty one, and then and that was it. Then for the game, they won two 0 They kept a clean sheet. Um, they kept Porto Menense at bay. Uh, Joao Bellinha walked away with uh, another man of the match award. He's a player that we've waxed lyrical about. Uh, and you know what? Shows. Ruben Amorim must hear our show. For sure. He, because he we talked about last time, uh, he must hear our show, <laughs> our podcast. Because we talk about pulling into the national team and in the press conference he talked about it as well. And now everyone speaks about it. <laughs> and now so everyone's talking about it. setting trends. <laughs> <laughs> like we were the first people to... Uh, yeah. to the show. But um, yeah, I thought it was... I, yeah, I thought it was a really professional display. They had nearly 60% uh, of the possession. They... You know they 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 got they got eleven shots off, um they um they yeah, they just they, they kept the ball well they were disciplined they didn't they didn't receive a card, which which is a, um which is a, an indication of of uh, how controlled they were and uh, and how much of the ball that they had, um didn't receive one yellow card and and um I think it was a real one of those performances get two goals early and and then we'll just. We'll play the game at our tempo. You've got to come and uh, come to us now if you want to get anything from the game. But those two quick fire goals, they didn't half take the uh, didn't half take the the, the wind out of Porto into sails. And then obviously you go into half time, and and then uh, after it, it was just much of the same. Um, but what did you make of the performance? Not much. Is this literally what you said uh, for me? And that's, that's what I like about football, so I'm going to say it again. Same thing that annoyed me with Zaidu was in Paul Sergi, to be fair, spoke about it. The two goals of Portimonense are very, very silly. The first one is a, is a free kick that people look at it and think, OK, it was a free kick, Coates wins the first ball, and Fedal, Fedal then scores. But the problem is, when Coates wins the ball and then Fedal wins the ball, the Portimonense is defending in a zonal marking. For people that don't know, zonal is when you're not in the man, you have a, a specific zone. And every coach will tell you the only thing you need to do is attack the ball in your zone. The ball's coming in your zone, you need to attack it. And Coates jumps too easily and then Fedal doesn't have to even jump when he has the touch on, on the on the leg before the keeper saves it and then the rebound goes in. And that's silly because you need to attack the ball. You don't need to look at the player, you need to attack the ball and they haven't done it. And then on Portimonen, something that Ruben Emburin said as well, which was, if he's running so much and, and the, the, the pitch is getting so heavy, don't play the ball back or between centre-backs when they are very, very close because the ball will slow down. And Portimonen just did exactly that. So two silly mistakes that made the game very easy for sporting. And then after this, like you said, very, very basic, solid performance where you, you watch that second half and you think, if Portimonen scores, he might, we might have a game again. but I don't see them scoring because I don't think Sporting will give them that chances. So I think they only have one real chance, which when Adam makes a good save. But apart from that, Sporting had it always under control. Yeah, didn't didn't look at any points that they were in any danger. Uh, I no. think the ability, so you pointed out the two mistakes, the ability to to go into a two 0 lead and rest, well not rest, but 
you're not you don't have to play every game in 100 percent high intensity let's go on and win this 7-0 um, it doesn't have to be like that uh, especially when you've got games coming thick and fast can you get yourself into a position of of control uh, can you get yourself you know into a tuna lead and can we just not just, just don't do anything stupid and just avoid making mistakes um, can you get substitutes on the field can you get the likes of Jovan Cabral get in you know come on play half an hour to batter come on play 10-15 minutes Mateus Nunes um, Briganza like just getting people you know on and off the field getting yourself into a tuna lead keeping you, keeping a clean sheet not conceding many big chances you mentioned that Adan save but other than that it was it was total control and another team who are near the bottom of the table a team we spoke about at the start come up against a team having uh, as we mentioned, a poor season by their own very high standards, and that was Friends versus uh, Benfica. It was a game that took Friends out of the relegation zone. Uh, Ryan Gold was man of the match. Uh, it was a, it was an interesting game, I think, from from the neutrals' perspective, because I think a lot of people would expect uh, who don't know Friends and expect. They just see a team near the bottom of the table playing against a team like Benfica. They expect it just to be attack versus defence. And they expect it to be, you know, one team with all the authority, with all the power, with all the ball, with all the opportunities, and another team with 10 men uh, camped on the edge of the box. But I, I, I don't, personally, I don't think it played out that way. I thought friends were, at times, tried to play some good football. They were let down on the same side by... Some just some really silly mistakes in possession in terms of when they tried to transition and break. There was a couple of opportunities where uh, either Gold or um, Jonathan Lucar had the ball and they'd release it either to uh, Maddie Cater or Pedro Enrique. And, and for one reason or another, um, Benfica won the ball, won the ball back to the credit. But I think sometimes just making that wrong decision, but I think they. Try to play. They try to play at times. Obviously, they have to be disciplined at other times. You know, they only had thirty-four percent possession. So Benfica were there. They're the you know the team you expect to dominate. But I think it wasn't uh, this David V Goliath uh, story that you'd expect. I thought they tried to play well to the credits. They had more shots on target than Benfica, uh, three to two. They had eight shots in total. Um, they had four corners. They tackled well. 18 tackles to Benfica's 14, 15 interceptions. Um, and again, I think, go back to it again, Gold uh, won the man of the match. He didn't score or provide an assist, but every time he got on the ball, it looked, and as it does every week, for friends, he looks like the man who's going to make it happen. I think if just they just had that little bit of quality, they could have they could have punished Benfica yesterday. And, um, you know, they, they, they'll be happy with the points, obviously, but... You know, they'll be part of that. They'll be they'll be part of that for end squad that be thinking just made the right if I would have just made the right decision in this instance. But just sometimes running down, you know, blind avenues and, and just running down just the wrong channels. But I think it was a yeah, very interesting game, especially from a neutral's perspective. Yeah, I think was was uh, after the Passos Guimarães game, I think was was probably the best game of the weekend. Um and you could see such a big difference between Ferenc and Maritim, both of them, well, Ferenc even got the point, but both of them fought until the end to get their point against a big team. 
but in completely different ways. If Maritim, like we spoke about before, it was a team that basically stopped playing and, and just going on a counter and, and being really, really far back, Ferenc was the opposite. They still tried to play their way. They created uh, loads of chances. Maybe not as clear chances what Maritim actually uh, created, but, but they were still playing a much more attractive football. That's why for the neutral, I think, was was so interesting. Then Befica, obviously, they made a lot of changes. They went back to a 4 2 which obviously when they play against Arsenal, they, they change it to a 5-3-2. Um, but there's things in, in Benfica that, um, that I don't understand how they keep doing it. So, for instance, I don't think, I think it's clear enough for everyone that Darwin and Seferovic up front, they, they don't work. And you could see, not that Darwin is better or worse player than Seferovic, I think Darwin is a better player than Seferovic is. But when Lukas, uh, Valschmidt going to the game, we could see two different players being Lucas and, and Seferovic. Seferovic is much more as a striker and Lucas can move into pockets of space, much more about linking up play. The game flows a lot better because the first half, especially Benfica, uh, if you the player had the ball in the centre mid, being a centre back or a centre mid, they had no one moving. So Everton was too static. Rafa was the one that was more dynamic. But the big problem with Rafa is he misses too many chances to score. Darwin Seferovic, very, very static, hard to create chances for, for each other. And I think that really hurts Benfica. Because if they play with two strikers like that, I think they're going to try to go to the wingers and, and make crosses. So Everton going to the to the line and, and make a cross because we have presence in the box, but they, they don't do that. Everton goes on the line and pulls back inside. Then Everton obviously is tired because he has a long season in, in Brazil, but he has too many touches per action. So what I'm meaning with this is to do a pass, he takes too many touches. To shot, he has too many touches. Even if you want to take a proper dribble, so a progressive dribble, it takes too many touches until he actually gets to that position. And I think that is taking time for for Bifika to get in a, in a good groove. And I think that's really hurting them. And just to fin just to just to finish, the Jorge said at the end that they missed someone to score a goal, and that made me think about. Because Darwin Sanchez, being a good player, he misses a lot of chances to score. He only has four goals in the season so far. And I thought, okay, he missed a lot of chances. The expected goals might be really, really high. So he should have scored a lot more than he actually does. I went on and checked, and so far, the expected goals, they have 7.4, and he scored four. So it's not a big difference. In points, could be, because if he scores against this goal, there's an argument to say that if he could have won, so it'll be three other points. And there was more games where he could have scored and he didn't. So he could translate into points, but not that much in goals. And then to the opposite, I went to check Pedro Gonçalves. His expected goals are 5.87. He actually has 14, so it's completely opposite, uh, just, just to, to see the difference. But I think that Befica will definitely improve if, for me, Lucas Valschmidt needs to play in this team. Agreed, 100% agreed on that, especially on the Luca Walshmith point that I was got that you just made there. What I find sort of bizarre is that at the start of the season, and especially in those early Europa League games, when um, Benfica were managing, you know, to they put in some good performances. The season hasn't all been doom and gloom. Well, I remember reporting on both Darwin and. Uh, Luka Waldschmidt, the partnership that they'd established, because they were playing together. Seferovic wasn't really getting a look in, and I, it was it was clear because each week it was like one of them was doing all the assisting and the other one was doing the scoring, and 
it was sort of highlighting the good in each in each of them. And and I think they had in terms of assist to goal, uh, like a partnership, like goals created. As a duo, they were at one point they were one of the highest in Europe in terms of goal combinations. Yeah. I just remember looking at the stat, especially early on in the season, and then it sort of it sort of to just dwindle away. And then, as you say, the he try, he's tried to rotate. Um, he's brought in Severovic, and some of the partnerships I agree just don't work. And the the points, a lot of people were frustrated with that point about. Benfica are missing someone sort of to put the ball in the back of the net because obviously they're looking at Carlos Vinicius sitting more or less on the bench for Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing in the cups and stuff. When he's playing, he's playing well, but he's not playing. Um, Gonzalo Ramos in in the in the B team who scored. That could be uh, that today. would be my next point. That's a very good point because I I even think that Darwin and Gonzalo Ramos would be a better partnership than Darwin and Seferovic. Yeah, because a lot, of, a lot of people they link up play together. They they don't gel together. They don't seem they seem too similar to play together. It looks awkward. I think it yeah. looks it, like it look it looks awkward. And and another thing is they they occupy each other's space spaces. A lot. I, yeah. You sometimes you see them and they're so close together. There's there's no designated zone as to this is how how you maybe it's just that they ha- they're not cohesive. They don't they haven't as you say they haven't gelled together. They don't know each other makes. They don't know each other's runs and stuff, and maybe that's just because they're too similar. Because they play, uh, the style is is too similar. So, but surely Jorge Jesus knows uh, the like the quality someone like Gonzalo Ramos has got. But it's you know it's it's that age old question. Is, because is yeah, because prefers. if you think about all the partnerships that Jorge Jesus had in the past, was with two players different so Flamengo last year was Gabi Gol and Bruno Henrique very different players in sporting uh, was Bas Dost and Bruno Fernandes before that was Slimani and uh, Tel in Benfica he had Cardoso and um, Rodrigo he, oh, yes Cardoso and Rodrigo then he had uh, on his last bit at Benfica he had Mitroglou and uh, Jonas, so it's, you can see clearly the one that's going to be more static and the one that's going to be more mobile and, and mm-hmm. moves them out about the pitch. Yeah. And I can see that in Darwin and Lucas, I can see Darwin can stay more in the middle and Lucas to move into spaces or Seferovic and Lucas. But the two of them, they, they just don't combine, their link up play is not good enough and, and they're actually what, for me, in my view, what kills Benfica is either. Because they are creating, but they, what he says about putting the ball in the box, uh, ball in the in 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 the goal in this game against Ferenc, yes, they had ten shots inside the the box, but there were still chances that you think about, and and it looks forced. Everything looks forced. Yeah, one hundred percent. And a lot of the, I thought that a lot of the crosses they put in yesterday, just high and and with no like. As if, as if they don't even know where the strikers are going to be or what spaces they're going to gamble in, and whether that's because they alternate the partnerships and they haven't sort of um, began to develop, you know, a true understanding. Um, but you think, no, yeah, and that's some something. Of the, some of the crosses yesterday were so, and they were so hit by players with such talent as well. Like, I think there was there was an instance, and it was in the. Um, Forgive me. I think it was in the second half. Was it, was it Nuno Tavares? And he he played the cross. It was either Nuno Tavares or or Everton. 
They just played this like every everyone can put a put a bad cross in. This was abysmal. Like it literally like went from one end to the other, and yeah. then literally I not think, five minutes I, I, later, Rafa Silva did the exact same thing. And it's like, can none of these players cross today? Like can Rafa Silva not but, cross? Gilberto, Nuno Tavares, Everton. Like these are players but, who can yeah. cross a ball. <laughs> I think I think I know which moment of Everton is said because I was going to say exactly it. But the other way, like putting another perspective, which is. Everton is a right-footed player playing on the left. Mm-hmm. He wants to come inside. Sometimes there's no space. If a good defender pays attention, not like Zaidu, like we spoke uh, before, but it happens in the game that the right back, the Buddha, was always pushing him to mm-hmm. his left foot, so down the line. And then you think, I'm a striker at Benfica. I've been playing with Everton. I know he's left-footed. He's been pulled to this left foot. He's not going to be able to cross to the far post. Get, get in front of the man. Get, to get in front, post. get to the near post, and you see Darwin Seferovic looking at him, making, okay, I'm going to make the same run if he crosses to the right and the left, and it's impossible. He's being under pressure, putting to his weaker foot, he needs to make a run to the near post. Yeah. Because there's no way he's going to put a ball in any other place in the box. No. But there's those things that they don't click in, and, and he's like, ah. I, I imagine it must be very frustrating for, for Jesus, because, and even for Everton, because... If you play football, you expect your teammate to know you a bit better than... Because it's not one month they've been playing together. It's been um, it's been uh, almost a season now. Yeah, yeah. I think it's... They're, they're just waiting. They're waiting for it to click. But it feels like... You can't expect things to just happen. Like, you, you can't... You know when people say the type of thing like, Oh, yeah... Benfica, they'll put a run together towards the end of the season. You know, clubs like that always do. But something has got to change. That doesn't just happen miraculously. Benfica don't just wake up one day. If they carry on the way that they are, they'll end the season like this. They will fully just end the season. Like, the last last couple of games, they obviously lost the Sporting in the league. They drew with Vittoria. Again, they looked toothless in that game. Morinains, 1-1. Again, yesterday, 0-0 for Ains. This... You can't do the same things over and over and expect the same and expect different results. Um, that just doesn't happen. So they need to, they need to sort of get it together. They've got Arsenal, then they've got Chiyawav, then they've got Estrel in the second leg, um, and then they've just got the run of of uh, obviously straight the the Premier League matches. And yeah, they need to. I mean, he can say that he's trying, he's trying different striker combinations, but. I've got to try something else. Yeah. To move I think Benfica looked better against Arsenal than what they did now. Because did. I think the three centre-backs really helped them. I think uh, Verissimo is, uh, is a very good signing. Yeah. And I think Verissimo, Otamendi and, and Vertogen uh, at the back really worked. And then, big problem in the centre-mid against Ferenc, uh, Tarabat and, and Gabriel were, were just uh, not good enough. They, they couldn't create anything. And I think with three centimeters is is much much better because even against Arsenal, a better opposition, they were trying to press them a lot uh, higher. They were they were able to to especially in the second half to to keep the ball a lot better. And mm-hmm. a team like Benfica, especially with Jesus, is about it needs to be able to understand when can we keep speed in the game and when can we calm down the game to have a bit more ball to make sure the fullbacks are high the. My wingers are coming inside to give more options uh, with the ball, and and sometimes Befica feels that everything is rushed. Yeah, one hundred percent. And that is that for this week's episode of the Portuguese Football Show. Thank you for listening. Um, this week was a little bit of a Premier League special. Enjoyed speaking about um, the clubs in Portugal. 
that is about it for this week. Um, we'll be back with you soon. We're going to have a, a special episode. Not going to reveal just what yet, but uh, a special episode coming this week, and then also the Portuguese football uh, show will be coming next week as well. So, thank you for listening. Philippe, thank you for coming on, as always. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Always love it. And, um, yeah, if you made it this far, thank you very much. Don't forget to uh, rate us on Apple, on iTunes, if you're listening. Uh, share it with your friends, retweet, whatever it may be. And um, catch us next time. Thank you. He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Vigo. And then Ronaldo! comes Eddie. Not got much help. Oh, he doesn't need any help. How about that? Portugal. And tonight they've been simply magnificent. Champions of Europe 2016.